I can use that cash right now and it's still building and growing 30 years down the road for when I want to turn that into an income. You know, it's called whole life insurance. It is a lifelong approach. You look at it over a lifetime. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy. I'm the CEO at ProcurementExpress.com. We take the hassle out of managing company purchasing with magical features. This week, uh, we are going to be diving into the sometimes controversial world of infinite banking, but not just for everyone, how it relates to SMB owners in particular. It's a topic that certainly has no shortage of coverage on the internet. Whether this product is something you should consider, it comes down to your situation. So with that in mind, I've invited John Ensley from uh, onto the podcast. Hello, John, how are you today? I am great, James. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. Um, I am in Washington State. It is uh, a little gray and rainy here today, unsurprisingly. <laughs> I feel like Washington, weather-wise, is the twin of Ireland where I am. Uh, that's what I get the impression. I think it is, yeah. So before we dive into infinite banking, maybe you could just establish your credentials in this area. How do you come to it? What do you do for a living? And, uh, and then we'll dive into some of the meat and potatoes of this subject. Absolutely. So um, I am a uh, chartered financial consultant is the designation I hold from the American College of Financial Services. Um, that makes me a fiduciary uh, financial planner, essentially, is, is what I do. I describe my practice as life insurance product centric planning. Um, because my kind of my message out there is that there's a lot, there are life insurance products out there um, that really deserve to get a little better billing than they do in the planning environment, particularly for, for small businesses. I founded my practice in 2012. So I've been doing this uh, a little while now. And I actually, uh, the, the background was uh, a couple of failures, uh, in particular, a real estate project that, that I got into that uh, right in the 2008 timeframe that, that just failed spectacularly. I was subdividing property and, and building spec homes. And uh, and that was kind of a wake up call for me. It got me to, to really start learning and studying and trying to figure out how the world of finance actually works. And somewhere in that process, reading just hundreds of books and blogs and you know things like this, um, I ran across a webinar and there was an advisor talking about um, this couple and a and a home and their home equity. And he started talking about this life insurance policy and how it was building cash value and, and how that played into their plan. And it was the first time I'd had any exposure to the idea that life insurance could be something other than a death benefit, that there could be some other purpose to it. And somewhere in that presentation, he uttered the words infinite banking. And, um, and that led me to uh, R. Nelson Nash's original book, Becoming Your Own Banker, uh, and then a book called Bank on Yourself uh, by Pamela Yellen. And those two together really kind of sent me down this life insurance road. And I wound up setting up infinite banking policies uh, for myself. And at the time I was in a completely different career as doing industrial sales. And as I used the system and realized uh, it, it actually works exactly the, the way the books describe it, um, I got very passionate about this idea. I'd been to many, many financial advisors and no one had ever suggested 
this idea to me before, and it could have made a big difference in that real estate project that, that I was in. Um, and so I was ready for a career change, got my licensing and some training on the infinite banking concept and launched my practice in, in 2012 specifically to, to help people understand and implement this concept. Okay, so you mentioned the word fiduciary there, and I think we'll maybe explain that because it has a specific meaning. Isn't that right? Uh, it does, yes. A fiduciary is a legal obligation to put a client's best interest first, is what it comes down to. I think a lot of financial professionals consider themselves a fiduciary, but that's different than having a legal obligation as a fiduciary. Um, and so, so that's what it is, putting your client's best interest first. So, let, yeah, certainly when I did my financial planning, insurance is just one of those things. You pay a low dollar amount every month to cover off all the horrible things that could happen to you in life that you hope will never happen. Look after your family when you're not around or get run over by a bus or some health outcomes. Why should we think differently about these insurance products or how can they be used to cover more than that scenario? Great question, James. Um, and I think what you're describing is what most people are familiar with. Most people, as you were describing, are trying to get as much death benefit as they can for as little premium as they can pay. Um, what we're doing is structuring these whole life contracts within here in the US, some IRS rules that dictate some things about tax advantages with life insurance policies. And so we're kind of taking an opposite approach to what most people think of with life insurance in that we're trying to get as much cash accumulation in the policy for every premium dollar as we can for as little death benefit as the IRS says we have to buy in order to make it work. Um, and so we're focused on the cash side rather than the death benefit side. It's still life insurance. There's still going to be significant death benefits in these policies, but we're actually trying to minimize the death benefit and maximize the cash accumulation within the contract. And a lot of people don't even realize that a life insurance policy can accumulate cash. The insurance part, I understand. Like, so if I'm funding, let's say, five million in benefits in the event of something terrible happening to me, uh, and, and then I need to put money in there. They're betting on me not dying <laughs> uh, early enough to fund that, right? And then the cash piece. So is that go into, is, it's within the same contract, but does that go into like a stock market investment or is it just literally cash in a bank somewhere? So it does not go into stock market investment. It is not in a bank account. The contract, the way it's designed, there's a couple of different components that can create cash value. One is the, the actuarial design of the contract itself itself is designed to accumulate um, a certain amount of cash over time. And that, that part of it is guaranteed. The contract is guaranteed to do that. Another part of it that is not guaranteed is we use mutual insurance companies, which when they perform better than expected, they pay dividends to the policy owners if they're a mutual company. And so those annual dividends that come into to the policy, um, we, we, we set those up so that they, they perpetuate into the policy every year. When those dividends come in, they buy more life insurance and continue to expand that contract. And so those are the two components that create this cash value accumulation. And so we have access to that cash value in a couple of different ways. We can, with, with, we can withdraw it. It's called a partial surrender. You surrender part of the contract, they send you the cash. Um, but the most common way is to borrow against the policy. So here, here in the U.S., life insurance is regulated at the state level, not the federal level. And the, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners regulates very, very heavily what insurance companies can invest in. 
So insurance companies take in premium, they're required to invest that premium in a way that is going to allow them to meet their future obligations to their policy owners. So in other words, an insurance company can't just go out and buy Bitcoin as part of their portfolio. The, the regulators would have a, a really uh, bad time with that. Um, so they have to invest in very high rated corporate bonds, very high rated government bonds, mortgages, uh, things of this nature that are, that are super stable and super safe. One of the investments that an insurance company can make that the regulators like are policy loans to their own policy owners. So if I own a policy and that policy has uh, death benefit and cash value, essentially the insurance company can loan me money from their general fund, from their portfolio as an investment for them. But what they do is they use my policy as collateral. So the limit of what they will loan me is the cash value that's accumulated in my policy. And the collateral is actually the death benefit. I can borrow against that policy at uh, very, very attractive rates. And also it's a no recourse loan. The only thing collateralized is the policy. A lot of times to get business credit, right? You're putting everything you have as collateral to, to get a bank to even consider it. The other thing is it's no qualifying. So there's no application, there's no income verification, there's no none of that. It's just a form we fill out, we check a box and, and they transfer the money into our bank account. And that also puts me 100% in control of the repayment. So because the insurance company's collateral is the death benefit, they know that if I don't pay the loan back and I die, they're going to offset that loan from the death benefit before the rest of it goes to my beneficiaries. So because of that, the insurance company isn't going to call and hound me for a payment. That's entirely up to me. So I have, I have clients who, um, you know, it, it depends on the situation. Let's say they're uh, purchasing equipment for, for a business and they're going to lease it to their business. So they personally borrow from the policy, buy the equipment, lease that equipment to their business. Their business pays the lease payments back to, to me, the personal policy owner, and then I pay the loan off. And I can do that on a monthly basis. I could take those monthly payments coming in, pay the loan back to the policy, and, and really keep the difference, right? Because I could charge a lease payment that's much greater than what I need to pay the loan back to the policy. So that's one example. But I have people who flip homes, for instance, they're real estate investors and they're flipping properties. And so they may not make any payment at all on that loan for 12 to 18 months until they flip it. And then they'll take the, the lump sum and pay the loan back. So it gives us great flexibility to be able to, to set the payment any way we want to do it. We can start, we can stop, we can change, we can not pay it for a period of time, um, we're in complete control of that repayment. So I think in a small business environment, that that flexibility is super important because sometimes cash flow is is uh, irregular. Let's say. So what I heard so far was that it sounds somewhat similar to what we call a credit union, where you're putting money in the cash value to say a hundred grand, for example. I can borrow up to a hundred grand against that. It sounds like. Is that correct? That's close. That's close. Where, where am I, what am I missing? Because it sounds like, well, why not just save up a hundred grand and then let the business borrow that from me? And that's a common question, right? Why wouldn't I just put it in a savings account? And here's here's the other thing about policy loans that um, is kind of the the linchpin. One is the the low interest rates that I mentioned. We can borrow money at attractive rates. But two is that when I borrow against that policy, because of the way I described it, where the policy is being used as collateral, I'm not actually pulling my cash out of the policy. So the insurance company is crediting me that guaranteed growth that we talked about 
and those annual dividends while I've borrowed that money as if that money is still there. So if I borrow 100,000 out of my policy and I pay it back over five years, during that five years, I'm getting the same growth in dividends as I would have had I not borrowed the 100,000. And that's where it creates the benefit that the savings account can't do. When you save up and buy something, right? You save up over time. So you can almost picture that as like a stair step where you're saving over time. And then we get to the amount and you take all the money out. And now, you've, now you're back to zero. And then you start over and you save up and you save up and you do this again. When you borrow money, you really do exactly the same thing, but you're doing it in, in the opposite direction. You, you borrow the money all at once and then you pay it back over time, stair-stepping back to zero when you pay it off. Okay. So what this, what this concept is, is that you really finance everything you buy, whether you pay cash for it, that you're giving up the interest you could have earned on the cash that you spent. Or if you borrow it, you're paying interest to borrow the money. So either way, there's an interest to factor there. Um, and so what the policies give us the ability to do is capture the best of both worlds. We can borrow money when we need it at, at attractive rates, but also we don't give up the growth in the policy in the meantime. We're continuing to get that interest earned on that cash. So what I heard there was, okay, I think I understand now. So if I save up the money myself and then I lend it to the business, business is gone no longer for me. So it can't be accruing any other benefit. It can't be growing um, because it's only been used once. Whereas this time they're using the insurance company's money and they're getting, they are getting an interest rate. So they're happy with that to loan it out to me. That's how they're making their money, et cetera. Explain to me then, how do you know you should be considering this if you own a small business? I know when I talk to a lot of small business owners, they sometimes um, retirement and putting money away for retirement is not at the top of the priority list because it kind of locks it away. You can't get to it now. Um, and they need cash sometimes to, to keep their business moving, right? And so they're hesitant to put that money away. So the other thing these policies will do is give us the ability to capture those long-term retirement dollars but maintain access to that cash. So I can use that cash right now and it's still building and growing 30 years you know, down the road for when I wanna turn that into an income. It kind of meets the need for short-term liquidity and, and cash access, but it also meets the need to be putting something away for, for, when, for when you exit. So would I, if I took out one of these, would I say fund it for a couple of years until I got a reasonable amount in there. Yeah. So that depends on the circumstances. So that's probably the most common approach is uh, people will, will just from cash flow ongoing, they'll, they'll make the, the payments annually or monthly and, and build up the, the policy over, over a few years. Uh, but it's also totally possible to get a lump sum into the policy. So I have a, a great example, a, a client that I have who owns a fast food restaurant chain and he wanted to open a new location. I met him because he got frustrated with the process at the bank to try and get the money he needed to, to expand. And in the course of our several meetings and, and discussions, the, the strategy that we worked out is he actually had some money in a retirement plan. He liquidated that retirement plan, took that lump sum, we dropped it into his policy as an initial lump sum payment. Almost immediately, within a week of the policy being issued, he was able to borrow most of that lump sum back out of the policy from, you know, from his policy, expand and, and open that new location. Yeah, we worked closely with his accountant, with his CPA, because this does have to be set up right. But collectively, his business paid him back for, for that loan at the highest rate his CPA said he could get away with. 
So his accountant said, okay, you borrowed the money from the insurance company. Uh, your average, you know, it's going to work out to be a 3% loan from the insurance company. You can charge your business 12. So what sort of upfront fees are there for setting this sort of thing up and ongoing fees? And what sort of amount of money do we need to be talking about for it to be a worthwhile thing to do? So the fees are all worked into the insurance contract. Um, and so there's a buildup period, as you mentioned. So the, the way I usually describe this is that when you, you put the premium in the policy and somewhere around 80%, let's say, of that premium amount is going to be cash value in that first year that you have access to. So in the first year, it's about, let's say, 80%. And this varies with, it, with, with each individual policy. So I'm generalizing. And so let's say it's 80%. The second year when I put that premium in, it's going to be 85% is cash value. In the third year, it'll be 90, then 90, you know, and it builds up. So the way I usually see these work out is somewhere between the third and the fifth year, you, know, you reach that point in the policy where the premium you put in um, is the increase in cash value that year is more than that premium that year. And then in about the sixth to the eighth year, you reach a point in the policy where the cash value now exceeds all the premium since the beginning. So there is this buildup or seeding period that lasts anywhere from five to, let's say, nine years, depending on the scenario, where it's building up. And this is where really the, the, much of the costs, quote unquote, costs are, are built into the policy on the, on the front end. So there's, there's no out-of-pocket fee per se up front. It's all built into the policy. You put the premium in and this is the amount of cash value that builds over this amount of time. And those costs are built into that. So it will be more expensive than most straight in retirement plans or 401ks. Is that fair to say? Or is that not true? I, I don't think so. No. If you had $500,000 and you put that into a retirement plan over 25 years, that 1% is building on itself. Um, let's say that account grows at 3%. It's going to grow to about a million dollars over 25 years. Um, but the fees are going to eat up about a third of that. So almost 30% in fees and $300,000 in cost over 25 years. The insurance policy, if you compared the first few years, yes, you could say that it's more expensive. But if we map it out over the same 25 years, the total cost on that insurance policy as a percentage of the cash value is going to be maybe 3%. It's actually a huge difference over time. So I think it's important to understand that distinction. What I'm getting to is it really depends like whether this is the right product for you or not. But one of the things you got to think about is it wouldn't work out over a couple of years or wouldn't work out in your favor a couple of years. You want to be your mid forties or earlier to get the maximum benefit out of this. Yeah, yes. The sooner the better, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the old proverb, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the second best time is today, right? Yeah. Um, so the sooner the better for sure. You know, it's called whole life insurance because it covers you for your whole life, your entire life. Hmm. It's in place. And so this is a very long timeline. At least you have to think about it that way. You can get some short-term benefits like my client who dropped the lump sum in on the front end. He was able to immediately get some benefit, but it is a lifelong approach. You look at it over a lifetime. When I map these out, I map that cash value or an income stream out to age 100 for clients, right? And that's the way I want them to think about it. 
because this is something you're going to do for your entire life. What's the starting point in terms of amount of cash to, for this to be worthwhile? And that's going to vary depending on the, the size of the business and the needs and so forth. Um, so, you know, I would say it's just so it's so hard to put a number on it. Um, you know, I think meaningful cash value, right? If, if your business, if $10,000 of, of cash accessibility would be meaningful to you, then that's the level. What happens most of the time is a client will come in and they'll say, like my client who wanted to open the restaurants, I need 50 grand to open this restaurant. How can I get there? Right. And then we build the, the policy to meet that need. That's what I kind of meant when I said adequate cash flow. If the most you're going to be able to, to put away into the policy uh, is a couple hundred dollars or $500 a month or something, or, you know, 6,000 a year, I'm not saying that's a bad place to start. It's just probably not going to become meaningful for several years. Okay, John, thanks for giving me the explanation here. How can people reach out to you if they want to dive further into the topic and figure out a specific plan for themselves? So my suggestion is sit down with someone who's not going to pressure or sell you on anything, but just educate you and share the numbers and look at your circumstances and try to help you make that decision um, as a fiduciary, not as somebody selling you a product. Um, and that's my promise. That's the promise I make to everyone that, that I meet with. So I set up a, a landing page. It's jump on with John, J-O-H-N, John, jump on with John.com. And um, this takes you to a page where you can jump right into my calendar and set up a free 30 minute uh, strategy session or consultation um, where we can have that conversation. No pressure, no, no sales tactics, uh, just a conversation and some education to see if this is the right fit for you. And I just, that's what I always suggest is the best place to start. So jump on with john.com. Great. Thanks, John. I really appreciate you coming to spend time with us today to give us a bit of a deeper dive on that. I've definitely learned more than I thought I would actually. I thought it's an interesting topic and it definitely, I've got a better idea of who it might be appropriate for. Thanks very much for coming. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.